postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today I'll be talking insider tips with Mandy Irby, also known as the birth nurse. During hospital birth, labor and delivery nurses are an essential part of your birth team, even though you may have never met them before. Mandy and I talk about ways to foster that connection, as well as the reasons why nurses may love and hate birth plans, how to navigate triage, the difference between hospital rules and body rules, why IV sticks can be so tricky, the poorly named fundal massage, and oh, so much more. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, hello, many parents and parents-to-be. Thank you heaps for all the love you give the show, for sharing it with your pregnant friends, and really anyone that could benefit from this content. Share it far and wide. So my guest today is the amazing Mandy Irby, also known as the birth nurse. And we've been working on setting this talk up for quite a while, which means that I'm super excited to finally share our talk. So let yeah, let's jump right into it. Here we go. Mandy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adriana. It's so good to be on your show. I can't believe I'm here. And people need to know this. We've had like an off before we finally got to this recording and talking. We've had a crazy like almost almost courting relationship for the past couple of months. (laughs) I took Mandy out on a date zip lining. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And I feel like I you know me so well because you run in my ears when I'm running so I feel like we've been courting for a while (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and 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 it's been great you're fabulous I love what you do and so I'm so excited to have you today to have so you can share your insider tips from your experience as a labor and delivery nurse how long have you been doing that I've been a labor and delivery nurse for 11 years that's yeah that is awesome. I was I was like, I've been a doula for 13, like that, you know, I like to put it in perspective of I've been doing this long about the same time. So we kind of both mm-hmm. got started together. Excellent. Um, yeah. Tell us more about yourself. Well, during, I think of it as like two of those years was really like, talk about insider tips. I have two children. So I was a labor and delivery nurse for many years before I had my two children. And yes, I was a great nurse before I had children, but totally different after having that experience. And I I work in a high-risk hospital. It's a teaching hospital in a smaller city in Southwest Virginia. And so I did give birth in the hospital that I work. A lot of people ask me that and think that it's kind of crazy. I so was it kind of crazy? Like, how did you feel going in and knowing that you had all these people you knew? Sort of, did you feel judged? Are you judging my labor? Of course, I did. Who doesn't feel judged in labor? <laughs> I mean, you have to be pretty deep into labor. I think, 
I think our, you know, social media and our access to everyone's thoughts and feelings just sets us up for that. What are people thinking about this? What are people thinking about that? I think I'm learning that people are thinking I might be judging them. (laughs) Oh my gosh, the farthest from the truth. But yes, I had that silly worry. And it, yeah, it it made a big difference in my first birth. Um, And then, (laughs) and then I became a parent and then my perspective changed again and it was different for the second time. So I think that it's, oh my gosh, I think that that was the best sort of learning. I mean, the fact that I've seen thousands of births and helped with thousands of births also helps. Uh, But just having two babies is the best kind of experience you can have. Mm -hmm. And you also have a YouTube channel where you talk a lot about the, yeah. What do you talk about, Mandy? What do I talk about? Yeah, I talk about birth. I've talked about my babies uh, briefly, but mostly about having a more confident, I I call it bold. We birth boldly over there on YouTube. And I have, um, well, recently, um, I've been into more trainings and gotten totally immersed in the trauma sensitive side of care and prenatal prep and um, how pregnancy and childbirth affects um, you are as a whole being. (laughs) like you come into birth as a person and not just a a pregnant human. So uh, I talk a lot about trauma sensitive care. I talk to labor nurses about positioning in labor and how to get a little bit more um, confident in helping support a laboring person and also to parents how to get more confident and just a little more understanding of the whole process because it's, I, I find that people are very fearful. So I kind of expose it all on the, on YouTube and on my blog. Mm-hmm. And I think that type of training for nurses would be amazing because it, it's hard to to separate the fact that for the person that goes in to have a baby, it's their baby's birthday, right? It's like this immensely huge ground shaking, you know, experience that is one of the most pivotal moments of their life. And... Mm-hmm. For you, it's Tuesday. Yeah. It's Tuesday yeah. and it's the fifth birth or seventh birth or 20th birth, right? So right. keeping that, do you find that it's a it's something that you constantly have to remind yourself of this is really big deal for this person? I know I'm just in at work, but how, yeah. keeping that in the forefront? Yeah, definitely. And that's what's, that, that training has helped and and my training with nurses, I have one on Friday and I do a lot of, we do a lot of feeling. <laughs> we do a lot of open discussion. We do a lot of kind of um, opening up about our experiences because yes, it's Tuesday for us, but oh my gosh, we have such big feels, labor nurses. We are emotional and we are in it with you and for you. And we feel the ups and we feel the downs without a lot of support on our end, if that makes sense. So not that I want, not that I, we expect support from the birthing family, but you know, the hospital or staff or um, just the system doesn't allow for a lot of support. So I think when we can clear our own stuff together, then we can really be more present for that person. And, and, and I love how you say that birth will change your life. And 
we do have, it's, it's helped me to realize that each and every time with each and every individual, it helps me to take care of people that make choices that I don't necessarily agree with because I just remember, you know, they're coming from a different place. They, they're a whole person. They've had a history. So I love reminding that, you know, learning that again with labor nurses and reminding them because they really love what they do and they love the opportunity. Sometimes they just forget that in the day to day. Well, and it's also hard to have your own quote unquote baggage of the last thing you saw and Mm -hmm. not project it to the next person that comes into the room. Right. Oh, yes, you get you get me. (laughs) (laughs) We could just this is not the talk we're supposed to be having. We're supposed to be talking about insider chips, not trauma informed. But that's a whole different maybe you come back for that. Um, Yeah, this is how this is the inside of nurses, though. So I think it's okay. I think it's okay that people hear like, oh, no, she has her own stuff because we do. Yes, we're all people every. Yeah, yeah, we're all people and and our energies affect each other. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge thing also. Let's, oh, I'm going to write that down because I have a list in front of me of questions that I want to get to, but uh, maybe we'll get to one or we'll do that in the extra content about energy shift. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So speaking of feelings, what do labor and delivery nurses really think and really feel about birth plans? <gasps> birth plans. I like to say that we love to hate birth plans because we have we have this stereotype that labor nurses hate birth plans. I was one of those people, but we really don't. I think deep down, I can't speak for everybody, so I don't want to try to do that. But personally, deep down, I think we we like birth plans in with the idea that that birthing person or that family has put in work, effort, time, and energy into preparing for their birth experience, which is super important and I think can really make or break an experience. And we can really dig anyone that stands up for themselves and what they want. So while we work for a system and, you know, it's it's much easier and more efficient if we can just, you know, do things the same way each time. It's faster. It's safer. It's repetitive. But when someone comes in with a birth plan and totally shifts that, I think we still think, oh, look at this parent <laughs> standing up for themselves. I think it's I think it's a really great sign. So I think it's um, while it can be difficult to adjust, and you might see that in somebody's face when you hand them a birth plan, I think ultimately we really want the answer of how can we help you best. Yeah. So is there a preferred style? Like if you get a, is the feeling in different, different if is the feeling and your acceptance mm-hmm. different if you get like a five page long detailed laundry list birth plan versus a very to the point one page short one. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. It It is going to be indicative of the amount of time and preparation that was put into the birth plan if it is long check boxes of sometimes things that kind of contradict each other. Uh, so that kind of leads me personally to believe that 
there's so little more weeding out to do. And maybe this person isn't completely finished with making choices or like combing through their decisions. Um, it, that doesn't mean that it can't be long, but I think just like an application, <laughs> job application, people are going to read it more often all the way to the end if it's one page. And I think that just makes it simple. Even if the font is small, <laughs> even if the margins are small, I always just say, if you're going to write it down, keep it, keep it one page to make it easy on everyone. So it's not super in intimidating. And also people have their own ideas about a birth plan. And even though I love them, uh, some people get offended by them. So to just, you know, keep the energy up, upbeat, one page I think is easy. And then um, it can be detailed. It doesn't necessarily have to be long and detailed, but um, that's what I love working on these birth plans with pregnant people and people getting ready for, for the hospital, because it's really about the process of figuring out what choices and figuring out what you're really getting grounded in your goals and what you really, really want so that you can have what you really, really want in any variety of situations. Uh, so if a birth plan is stuck on this needs to happen, or I won't have a good experience, that is a red flag of, oh, okay, we have some conversation to do because that's not how medicine works, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's also a really good idea to, like you say, the process of going through it and talking about it with, you know, you, the nurse, the doula, mm -hmm. um, your care provider, like somebody who can really have the time to sit with you and suss out what it is your, what's the goal of this birth plan, but also give you feedback on, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, about policy, hospital policy, and be able to tell you, you, you know, are saying that for a cesarean, you want to have both your doula and your, your partner in the OR and hospital policy, just to let you know, like, that's really slim that that's going to happen. Probably the answer <laughs> is no. Like, and, and then create those specific um, realistic expectations around it. Yeah, because as your nurse, <clears throat> sorry, I tell my kids I have a frog in my throat. As your nurse, I don't want to be the bad guy right when we first meet. I don't want to tell you, oh, you have your heart set on these six things that as a hospital employee, like I have to tell you, these are going to be really hard to do. And it's a little late to like pave the way for them. We could have tried a few weeks ago. Like, yes, Sifting through that with someone else, either in a hospital situation or from your hospital specifically, going on a tour can help get some of these answers a little more concrete. And if I've noticed that someone has gone on a tour in the in, in a hospital, no matter if you know where they're giving birth, if they've gone on a facility tour, then oh my gosh, I really need to show up because they already have half the answers. We're not we're not basic education today. We are advanced. And they know what they want and they are going to be asking for it, which is spectacular. Yes. And going on a tour is huge also because it gives you the lay of the land. It helps lessen anxiety and fear, like just knowing, okay, this is what this looks like, this environment that is so important during labor that I'm going to walk into. Yes. I can actually tell when I walk into a room almost immediately if they've gone on a tour. And it seems so simple, but they are sometimes in their own clothes or they're not in the bed just because they have just more ease about their their room. They've created their zone much quicker. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I do want to ask you, what is the best time for people to come into the hospital and go through through a little bit of sussing that out? And But let's take a break first. We'll go be right back. And we are back talking to Mandy Irby about insider tips from a labor and delivery nurse. So, yeah, from your experience, when is the best time for people to come into the hospital in terms of what their labor is doing? You know, we know they're told to wait for 411, 511. Is there a better way to figure that out? What are your thoughts? Oh, Adriana, you should tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew this answer. Oh, well, I've had parents who've taken my in, like in-person childbirth education classes. And they were like, Mandy, we were waiting for the 511. We were waiting, we were counting. And sometimes it's the partner that says this and <laughs> they want to tell me specifically, that's not how it went. And I've had very good friends who have really prepared and been ready. And then they just fell in their gut this is getting intense. We're going. And they've even had to like talk their partner into or talk their doula. They're like, call on the way. Plans have changed. We're headed in, even though we updated you 10 minutes ago that we were, you know, eight minutes apart. Uh, so there's no one size fits all. And I really wanted that to be true for me as well. <laughs> but Wait. no, there, there's there's ways to prepare for that 511 and that 411 mark that I think are more important than picking your contraction app, if that makes sense. I think there's just uh, like I just came back from the spinning babies parent educator class and um, I'm totally incorporating that into my childbirth education because it's a connection with your body that allows you to be like, wait, are these extra intense? Uh, instead of what are the numbers, because you always talk about getting in the labor brain and getting in your animal brain and allowing labor to happen that way. Um, but also I just encourage people, if you want to go in and you are, you're probably going to be offered a cervical exam and how are you going to feel about the results? So think about if you are not in labor, if you're not six centimeters or you don't want to stay being okay with leaving, not necessarily going home, but not staying in the hospital. Or if you say, okay, well, if I'm four, which is like that really gray cervical dilation number where they might say you can stay and you're ready for whatever is offered in the hospital that you maybe don't have at home, then be okay with that decision. Well, and it was kind of like a trick question. Not really, but you, yeah, <laughs> the four one one five one one. that's, that's, that's the system trying to put a guideline yeah. Into something that's so incredibly unique. And then you have the, the partner that comes back and is like, that didn't happen. Well, yeah, it didn't happen because it's more about that tuning in with your body and, and mm -hmm. having that gut, even if the contractions aren't 411 or even if they're 211, but you're really chatty, it might be something else going on. I think I like to add a mood change. So either contractions getting longer, closer, stronger you know, closer together, stronger, and a mood change from being mm -hmm. really chatty and everything's fine and all is good. And, you know, did you pack the bag and could you get me some water and directing to um, going internal and cocooning and this is requiring my full attention mm -hmm. and then check what contractions, like time contractions when th you see that 
it seems like they should be think let's we, we should know what's going on right now not go from the get-go yes i love that the my my mood change on my most recent birth my baby is two and a half was animal sounds <laughs> yes when the animal animal sounds came out i was like who's making that awful noise i was like oh let's check in and it's brief but it's it's a uh, um definitely that internal body check of no i'm handling it i'm talking i was working through contractions i was just walking and doing my, doing my job and then and then there was a change and i was okay going you know you had to be okay going to the hospital even if they say you're four <laughs> you know because brave for you to do that internal check and make a decision about your body i love that Mm. And also, maybe if you go in and you get checked, you you don't want to know, and they don't have I, to tell you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. <laughs> in the same. Oh. <laughs> Only tell me good news. Only tell me good news. Well, or don't like if that's gonna mess with your head. Yeah, they might not want to know even because it's pretty much a requirement, right? Do you feel that you could go into the hospital and say? I'm here for giving birth. I am here in labor, but I do not want you to check me at all. You know, Adriana, I recently heard of a story. Now, I always say body rules are your rules. You don't have to be checked if you don't want to. That could mean that with a facility rule, I think there's two kinds of rules, with a facility rule, they might not take you out of triage. So you might be laboring in a triage bay which is almost kind of like a punishment, but not on purpose. Um, but I have heard of instances where there were zero vaginal exams in the entire birth process. So not to spread that rumor, but <laughs> I mean, I really hate to say this is a requirement because there are very few of those. And the experiences that I've had where that has that there's been no checks is more of when we get there and it is absolutely clear that you know skip mm -hmm. triage send me to a room this baby's coming and we don't you know nobody's got time for that oh <laughs> yeah absolutely there's definitely those that happen way more often yes yes but yeah. i i when i think about if you want to go in and stay in your zone and you don't want an exam but you you know, you want to, you want other people to know what your cervix is, or you want to know how to move forward, then having that conversation with your partner and then having like a number, you know, if I'm seven and you whisk me to the labor room, I, you know, we'll just do this in the labor room. If I'm not, you know, whatever your number is, where, where you're comfortable being admitted and then rediscussing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm not my code number, but we need to have a talk. <laughs> That's okay too. Mm -hmm. Is there, in the same thing, because triage is tricky. Let's talk more about triage. What else needs to happen? Usually a vaginal check. Um, if you have your birth plan, I would want to see it. So that's a good time to hand it to you. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I, I mean, as, as like awesome and amazing as I think labor nurses are, I... I don't see why you would wait to get on the same page. Even if you're not staying, you have practice, you know, asserting what you see happening. And that can start in triage. Any any encounter you have in the hospital is going to be part of your story and 
And so I think it's a great time to, to have that talk. And, and if someone reads, if the nurse reads your birth plan and can help you, um, you know, meet your goals, they might help with some body balancing and they might see something that you don't see. And if it says, I really don't want to be in the hospital until I'm in active labor, you know, yes, every nurse should provide everything that they can to everyone that comes in, but it, that's not how it it works in a hospital. It's just honestly not how it works. There's so many people that come in to have babies and, you know, staffing with staffing the way it is. I say, use all of your tools that you have, or, you know, go in the back door anytime you have access because it's your birth experience and it's your baby's experience. So I, as an insider scoop, you know, give them all that you can to encourage that um, anything they can help you with. And so body balancing or stretches or hydration, they might just give you a big jug of water and they might see a pattern or identify something that is maybe not as obvious to you, but, uh, but that can help you if your contractions fade away and you're like, look, <laughs> I'm feeling better. I'm, I'm going to go. Then that nurse has has been able to help you. And all she did was read your one page birth plan. And then you're like, thanks, take it back and go on your way. Well, and it, then it provides that sense of connection. It's a tool for connection mm -hmm. as well, because it's not the people in triage bay C, but these people mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I'm now, I know something about. Yes, so it yes, becomes more yes. personal. I, I yes. find that's really like one of the most important things of a birth plan is it, it gives a personal, it sets the tone for your birth and creates a personal connection. Exactly. Any part of your story that you want to disclose essentially publicly publicly in the hospital, that means like anyone could get a hold of your birth plan. If you're comfortable with that, put a little bit of your story at the top. And that is an instant connection. That's your very own TLC baby story that someone can connect with and identify, oh my gosh, like how beautiful. Everyone has their story, but not everyone not every nurse gets to hear every story. So if you can give them something to connect with you, they want you to be successful at that point. I mean, that's awful to say that we don't want everyone to be successful, but it's an extra going an extra mile. Well, yeah, it helps pave the way. You know, mm -hmm. it builds, it moves you guys forward in that connection as a team. It builds team. Um, and I also find the birth plans are really good at, so one of the things that happens in triage I find is, Nurses ask a lot of questions. <laughs> some make sense, some do not. <laughs> some of them can be answered by the birth plan. Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, yeah, handing it over right there. Uh, so yeah, do a little like quick walkthrough of what you your checklist is for triage. Like what do you have to get done? Oh, my questions. Yeah. Oh, like, yes. what's your process in triage? I've got this person that came in. What do I need to have happen? Right, right. So I first, um, as as your nurse, so I'm your nurse, right, Adriana? Uh, I first want to know, like, what's the most important thing that's going on right now? So my process, my process changes because I have no idea who is showing up and what is going on. And you might be obviously contracting, but your biggest concern is the bleeding that I can't see. So just if if we only have 15 minutes together, then I want to know what your biggest or or maybe your concern is, yeah, I'm contracting, no big deal. I want to know if I, I want my baby on the monitor, like I haven't felt my baby move or whatever that is. So getting to the goals, 
your goal as the patient, as the client is going to help just make everything smoother because my goals, yes, I have goals, but they're like way less important than (laughs) why you actually came to the hospital, which is a huge decision. So I try to like, okay, what's your first goal? Can we do that? Maybe it's to pee, go pee, (laughs) come back. And then I just try to explain these are the things we want to get some information about, including fetal heart rate monitoring, contraction monitoring. That can be just 20 minutes, but that is what um, what is asked. And then make sure you're who you say you are in our computer, allergies, how can we care for you safely, a little bit of background, like what medications you're taking is going to give me a clue of your health history, um, and just getting a, a bigger picture of who you are in that 15 minutes so that we can kind of talk about what might happen through that triage visit, what your options are, things like that. And so my experience in triage is never 15 minutes. <laughs> Just the no, monitoring. but sometimes I only have 15 minutes to ask you all the things oh, okay. before I have to go. <laughs> gotcha. Yes, no, triage is, I say hospital time is hospital time. It could be a 15 minute you know, you would think a cervical exam might take 15 minutes and me asking you your allergies and being on the monitor, but it's a, I would say you're going to be there for two hours. And then if you get to leave early, like if you get out of there before that, or you get a labor room before that, that's awesome and exciting. But often they'll say, let's get all the information from you. Can we check your cervix? All right, let's wait and see if it changes because that's how they identify labor is regular contractions with cervical change. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to stay there necessarily for that. If right. you're waiting on cervical change, you can like go walk and come back. Yep. Yep. Um, and then other things that I see that I kind of required are, so the 20 minute continuous fetal monitoring, a vaginal check, just to see if we are going to keep you or not kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if you're like, yes, you're admitted, let's go, then you need to have some blood drawn. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that usually is comes hand in hand with since we're poking you, mm-hmm. let's get an, a hep lock in. Yes. Let's talk about the hep locks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fe- I'm sensing a little hesitation, Adriana. <laughs> Maybe you don't want an IV today. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about the hep lock. So. Oh, oh, also, wait. oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Also, what? <laughs> if someone, um, this is just my hospital and some that I've uh, heard about. Uh, if someone presents as thinking, oh, I'm leaking something and or there's something wet down there or I don't know if my water broke because who the heck, all, you know, knows everything in pregnancy. Um, it, it's presented that you'll get a speculum exam or it will be requested that a speculum, speculum exam, which is the metal like alligator speculum helps identify and helps um, do a couple of tests to see if your water has broken. So if that is going to change the plan of care, then that's a surprise sometimes that people don't expect in triage. And why is that done via speculum, like a speculum exam, as opposed to just a hand check? Um, With a speculum exam, they can observe, observe the cervix. So They can see if there's pooling or if there's fluid actually coming through the cervix visually. And they can also swab with two different swabs to see, to make sure they're getting like cervical or amniotic fluid out of their test. 
instead of blood or urine or just whatever's like on your underwear or on the pad below you. Mm -hmm. And I do, um, I actually tell people that that's going to happen, but also that it is preferred that they have a speculum check because if you look at evidence in terms, if your water is broken, then the biggest risk is infection. And, and a speculum is sterile, right? Yeah, whereas there's the research shows that a hand will put in more germy things, <laughs> will bring yeah, things in yeah, rather than the speculum. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, just something to kind of ready yourself for so that if you don't think it's your water, then have that discussion instead of, well, they, you know, a speculum is a big deal. Yeah. Unless their water is like clearly like you're sitting there and on like creating a puddle, then it's just swab the puddle kind of thing. Then have a discussion of, yeah, if it's necessary. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Let's take another break and then, because this one is going to be a good one, let's mm. talk about the Hepalac when we come back. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed, in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. 
client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthfall. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And we are back talking with Mandy Irby. So here's why I'm asking this question about having getting an, a HEPLOC place. And the thing is, it is, from my experience, it's really common that having, getting a, that, that catheter in, in is difficult for pregnant veins. Like pregnancy changes your whole blood volume. So it also changes your veins. And if you're in labor, you might be a little dehydrated. So that that thought of like, oh, you're just going to put a HEPLOC in might be a, a big thing that might take several tries. Like, what is your experience around this? And, and yeah, what should people expect? Oh, gosh, I remember. I'm over here nodding because I remember my HEPLOCs vividly. And you would think, in the middle of labor, you're not going to feel anything. But no, an IV stick is not labor. <laughs> it's very different than labor. What to expect? Um, yes, it is surprising how many people have a difficult IV stick. It's it's surprising to me because sometimes I can see a pregnant person in Kroger, you know, across the way. And yes, nurses are looking not at your belly. We're looking at your IVs. <laughs> We're looking at your veins. I mean, we're looking at your veins. So as a pregnant person is walking down the aisle of Kroger and her big bulgy veins are bulging out, I think, oh, that one would be easy and how quick I could get an IV. But it's not always like that. And um, and it's a very frustrating part for, for nurses. Again, I can't speak for everybody, but my friends at work, oh my gosh, there's that struggle between I know that I might not get the IV in on the first try, but my labor nurse friends are also so busy in their own rooms that I really have to have a good reason to go ask for help, <laughs> which is so bad, but that does give you a little insight into the uh-huh. inner workings of nurses. Um, so, but I do promise people that I do not try to uh, try an IV unless I really feel really confident. And I know other people are the same way. So, but we want an IV in, a, in not a certain place, but there are places that are such a pain that that's almost something that, that we know, and we know we could get it like in the bend of your elbow pretty easily, pretty quickly. And a lot of times people will come with them if they've had an ambulance ride, but they are impossible in labor. If you need anything in them, a laboring person is moving their arms around. So, um, so it seems like it should be really straightforward and we wish it, it were, but a lot of times it, it can be difficult. Their veins roll or, you know, your your skin has changed with pregnancy or, yeah, you're dehydrated. Or the, the places that would be easiest are sometimes a little more difficult to find or to kind of get that IV in. Mm-hmm. And we, you've been mentioning IV, but not everybody needs an IV, right? You're talking about HEPLOC? Right. Yeah. I, I just call it IV. But yeah, if you don't have anything running, you don't need anything. Or if you need only like penicillin in between, then it can totally be locked up. Yeah. 
Right. So it's just like having that port that's kind of like that line in in case something develops. Yes. And gosh, ever since my whole mind was blown after taking that um, trauma informed in the perinatal period class, it was like a week long training. And I see IVs totally different. If that means anything, I see IVs totally different since that training. But if someone is struggling, a lot of people struggle with getting an IV, they struggle with either is it going to hurt, or they have a phobia of needles or a, a severe aversion. And a lot of times if the pregnant person doesn't, then someone that they've brought does. So it's, it's so incredibly common. And I just thought, okay, so I'm going to be honest, and I am embarrassed to say this, Adriana, but I used to think, what's the big deal? Like you have contractions. This is a small stick. It lasts two seconds. It feels better in the next few hours as the plastic is softer. And, and that is, I feel like that's true. In my experience, I felt that like, what is the big deal until I got one. And also until I found, until I learned that it's so common to have this aversion to have this big fear. And it's totally not just a needle stick for some people. So I can really appreciate that it, it can be monumental and it can be very memorable. Um, but there are ways to, you know, there are ways to have that conversation before the nurse tries the IV. I would be very open and honest with your feelings and also, it's not like crazy to use your labor coping techniques during your IV because you can go to a your better place either with your breath or with your relaxation or you can't dim the lights necessarily because I want to see what's going on as your nurse. But washcloth over your eyes, have your support person come in and talk you through so that you can keep a relaxed arm and not be jerky or move or stiff or tense. The same things apply to getting an IV as they do in labor. And it seems like overkill. And it did for me until I experienced it, which is embarrassing to say. But, you know, if it can be a better experience, I'm all about it. Yeah. And getting creative on how that experience can be. So you were you were mentioning about don't dim the lights because I need to see. And that's where my doula brain, I got, I have, when that's happening, I keep my, I protect those lights. I guard those lights. So yeah. I grab my phone and turn on the flashlight and give the nurse light, Perfect. but the room is still dark. So, And I already feel like what an amazing team around that birthing person if we're all working together to meet their goal. Right? That yeah. feels so good. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. So expectations, know that it will probably be uncomfortable. Know that mm -hmm. you might have to get it done a couple of times or three times or have somebody else come in if like I know in the hospitals where it, around me you've got a three strikes you're at kind of thing of like the nurse has to try three times poke you three oh, times no. before going and grabbing somebody else <laughs> to do it <laughs> I've never stuck someone three times no I no I don't I'm not that strong of a stick to feel confident that the third time is going to work better than the first time I'm gonna either try my hardest the first time to get it or go get someone and not use up the one spot I think they might try. So yeah, in terms of the spots, where are these spots that are usually better to have it so that it's less bothersome during labor as you move during labor? So for someone who is very averse 
with an IV who's like, I don't, I, I, I need it because I want penicillin, but I don't really want it. What can I do? And this is the, the only option. I like to put it um, under the arm, which is like on the back. Uh, if you put your hand on your shoulder, you can see that underside of your arm between your wrist and your elbow. I try to go there so that they aren't seeing it and I try to cover it. So like your internal forearm? So if you touch your arm to your shoulder and put your elbow out to like your nose or where you can see your elbow, it's that underside. The internal part where like the bend of your elbow is like the inside bend mm -hmm. where you, where maybe you, when you draw oh, blood, gotcha. so it's just like blood, that's the other side. So, but it's between the elbow and the wrist, not between mm -hmm. the elbow and the shoulder. Oh, no. Right. Between the elbow yep. and the wrist. So that's where arm. I was like, I don't know that we're <laughs> between the elbow we're and the wrist, going but, for the neck. but not but not on the internal wrist on the outside. Yeah. The outside, okay. you don't see as much. And it's kind of awkward to get it placed. But once it's placed, I can cover it really easily. And then hopefully it's out of the way. And just I have to think about it is the goal. Like if you're getting in water, I'll cover it, but I'll, I'll be thinking about that. And then when you're holding your baby, it's not brushing up against your baby's head and all that. Um, and the other side of your forearm, the internal side, the like lighter color mm -hmm. skin, usually the soft, the soft meat, uh, is another good place anywhere on your forearm. And that's my preference. Other people like the hand. I think the hand is more painful and, um, if, if you can't get it, some people will do the inside of the elbow because those veins are very big, but also it they don't work sometimes as well or as long when you're moving. So can you ask the nurse, say, can you try here first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would, I would, I give them a background. I'd say, you know, I've been really thinking about this. I know it's silly and you don't have to say, you know, it's silly, but that's just what I would say. I'd be like, oh, I know this is silly, but I'm really worried. Can can we talk about where it's going to go before you start? Mm -hmm. And then she might just say, oh, yeah, let me look. And then you talk before the stick comes, before the needle. Okay. And I'm going to present you with a scenario that mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I do this, and I don't know if nurses hate me for it. But <laughs> if the stick has been is proving to be really hard and it is very clear that the person is in super active labor they've been checked it's going to be like the only thing that's holding us up on triage is the stick so they try it once it's not working and at some point i talk to the partner to ask or i ask and wonder out loud is there any reason why we can get her to the room in the tub and then do the stick. And I do feel resistance to that, but usually it's like, yes, we can. And I feel that, that the benefit of getting that birthing person into the tub to get them some relief because they're really struggling. They can't even hold still. And that's mm -hmm. part of what's making the stick more uncomfortable is beneficial for everybody, even though it's kind of like annoying to move to delay in the tub. Like, how do you how do you feel to this scenario that I just painted as a labor and delivery nurse? Um, I love it, but I'm also not a loved by everyone labor nurse. <laughs> and by like, everyone, you mean like the other nurses in the your others? <laughs> oh, I get along with the nurses at my at my hospital, but uh, providers. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're like, oh, Mandy, 
because so, I, because I'm just like that. I ask for things that you know you get creative because birth is not one size fits all. And and actually, Adriana, I think it's wonderful. And I just shout you out and the doulas that get creative because a lot like nurses, I know you get dumped on. And so I am sorry for the eye rolls, but you take it so that your birthing person doesn't have to. So that's amazing. <laughs> you should get paid all the monies and all the hugs <laughs> and all the chocolate for that. Because yes, I know you, I, I've, I believe you get that. I'm glad your birthing person doesn't. And I hope they don't see it. And I hope that you're like, oh, look, your nurse is amazing. She's just going to walk with us to the tub and try again there. Because that's not how it feels. And it shouldn't be like that, but that is that is the truth. So yes, I believe that you get eye rolls, but actually a lot of times if we can't get a stick, we will put a warm, like we have warm blankets on our unit uh, for a variety of reasons. And so, or there's baby warmer blankets that are usually in a baby warmer. Or even the heat packs. Or heat, yeah, we don't, oh yeah, we, we don't always have heat packs. Okay. But if you have those, anything Something warm, warm whatever your, your facility has that is warm. We put them on the on the arm. So being in warm water is going to hopefully help pop those veins out. Excellent. I, yes. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And getting creative. And and I can definitely tell you're the middle person by offering that. We don't also have to have IVs in our triage. So we're kind of like, get comfy, however you want to be, and then make your arm floppy and let me take a look at it. It's kind of how, like, I don't want you uncomfortable and tense. That doesn't help get an IV. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's important for people to know that they have, they can advocate, <laughs> they can yeah, ask for things. Yeah. yeah. If they're in the bed, like just try not to squirm. Can I stand up and I do this on the bedside table? Okay. I might not be super comfortable with that, but I might be able to find someone who's more comfortable and then I see it happen and it's no big deal the next time. So I think, yeah, advocating for what is right for you. That's good practice. Now, we talked a little bit about protocol. What is the best way for people to figure out, find out what what their hospital rules are? Ooh, I think getting your information from a variety of sources is my advice. Um, like going on a tour. We already talked about that. Um, asking people who've given birth in that hospital before is not the strongest way to do it, but that's a way. Um, and then you can kind of, with that information, have a more directed discussion with your provider about some specifics that maybe you've heard or you're still confused about because we know our prenatal appointments aren't super long. So having a directed discussion about certain things that you're still curious about or um, a way to kind of learn the culture and learn how flexible these are is having a more what if discussion with either someone in the hospital, if you're in triage, you can try out a nurse or your provider specifically, or even someone in their practice, because if it's, if it may not be your provider, then that's the reality. And just, you know, what if, whatever, if they, if they are asking you how you feel about something, throw a couple what ifs or whys and just see where that conversation goes and see how you feel about it, it might give you a a clue as to how, if something comes up, how flexible and how to kind of navigate that. So it might be a good idea then to, you know, start drafting your birth plan, inform yourself, figure out what you want, start laying down your choices, and then go take the tour 
and mm-hmm. with sort kind of superimposing your birth plan wishes on that tour and then that might bring the what ifs questions that you can ask right there and then if you don't get a great answer or something you want to follow up with talk to your provider and keep at it like it's not just a yeah. call this number and get all the rules <laughs> yeah and and i teach it um i just recently did a video about rules in labor because there seem to be a lot and people um people, everyone talks about it. Like uh, you're not allowed to do that, or we require this, or we, we require that. But if you dig deep enough, um, a lot of things that have to do with your body and your baby's body are actually a choice, even though they're not presented like that. So starting early before you're pregnant is not too early really to have the conversations and get comfortable with, uh, but what happens if, but what, but when, but if I don't do that, then what would be my options? Or if this isn't an option for me personally, what, what then could we do? And I, like I said, I think there's body rules and those are really the ones you hold and can flow, can flow with. Uh, and then there's facility rules and those are just the consequence of, and everyone has facility rules, even home birth midwives have, you know, rules and limitations that they're very clear about, but the conversation sometimes doesn't sound like, oh, these are your choices. And Mm. the facility rule, like you said earlier, is like, I want 15 people in my cesarean like mm, that's going to be a facility rule that they may not bend on right but knowing that there's that flexibility or there can be that flexibility or you can ask and get deeper go deeper into it i love the what if what if scenario questions yeah. now speaking of that body rules and and body rules and hospital rules and how will they overlap <laughs> talk to me about the fundal massage yes fundal massage so Quote, unquote, uh, can we find a different name for it? Because it's not a damn massage. It's not a damn massage. No. Fundal punching. Uh, no, I, I, I think fundal, fundal kneading or um, encouraging your uterus to be half of its size. <laughs> Maybe you can imagine what the, that feeling feels like. Yes. Uh, that is a that is an aggressive um, way to have to assert yourself when someone's hand is on your body. Uh, so I can see why that's a question for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, labor nurses love fundal massage or fundal kneading, fundal encouraging. Uh, they don't love that it hurts, but they love, I, I can't speak for everyone, but it can be effective in reducing excessive bleeding after your baby is born. And I think that's a really, it's such a long conversation because it's like, is it even needed? Like, do you really need it? But is it because the third, that's a, that's a whole third stage of labor and that immediate postpartum and, you know, in, I, I get to see as a doula, I get to see different births happen in different places. So I also have the luxury of seeing birth happen at home. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the what if, I have a clear scenario of what is possible that is completely different from the scenario that is presented in this facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand the reasons why these protocols have been developed. Uh, but this t- tie into at a hospital, you've given birth. I don't want a, you to get up from that bed 
until quite a while of time. And even then, I'm going to do it slowly and you're going to go pee first. Like there's a there's like even a little bit of a protocol as to how you're going to get out of that bed after giving birth. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're at home, you know, even especially if you gave birth in a tub, at some mm-hmm. point within shortly after giving birth, half an hour, probably less than that, you're going to get out of that tub and yeah. walk to another place where you're going to lie down. And in that getting up and gravity coming around, your placentas probably come out and nobody's like giving you fundal massage in the tub. So that's why I get a little bit like, yeah, but, you know, I've seen it happen without it. And so I know it's not 100% necessary and and it's so uncomfortable. So where's the trade off? You know, that's just just how my brain works. So, uh, no, I appreciate it. And that's why as a medical model labor nurse, I listen to your podcast because I think it's powerful to understand physiologic birth, birth that's not touched and not intervened with. But as I also learned from you and some very smart people that we all know, that being at a hospital is an intervention. So being in a place that's not your own, where you're not super comfortable, being on a bed where you're not super comfortable, having lights on you, like... We have already intervened in a way that uh, disrupts or potentially could disrupt those wonderful oxytocin hormones that help our uterus do its job physiologically. So in that sense, just like just like when everyone says, oh my gosh, it needs to happen. We need to have skin to skin after a cesarean. I am the biggest advocate for that in my hospital. You can ask anyone, but... We've already intervened with how that baby has been born without going through the pelvic, you know, cardinal movements. And so, yeah, so sometimes, a lot of times, those specific babies need intervention because we've already intervened. And then, you know, the quickest possible second, that baby also needs to be skin to skin because that's also physiologic. So I definitely understand where you're coming from. I think that the postpartum period in the hospital definitely needs to be revamped and it would be tough to find someone that disagrees because there are not great outcomes. And so the way we're doing it, if we just do it harder, is not necessarily going to fix poor outcomes that are postpartum uh, in the hospital and then also at home. So education and things like that. And with that comes, you know, knowledge is power, education, educating yourself about what does happen where you're giving birth and how do you feel about that? And for me personally, again, I don't want to speak for every labor nurse. So me personally, as a as a mother, my postpartum period was very traumatic, my first birth. There was a lot of hands-on. There was not a lot of discussion. There was a lot of memory there for me that I had to work through in order to feel ready to give birth again. And that was my birth plan was pretty much just postpartum. And it was not written down. I communicated very directly with my provider who I didn't know who it was, it was going to be while I was in transition. So I don't, I don't recommend that. But I said, you know, my plan is this. And he luckily, after a, a few contractions, was on board with it. And we, we moved through together. But it was a lot of, you know, don't touch until you say what you're doing. And I still might say no. And you just have to be okay with it. And I, and, And so we do, so knowing what's coming is going to be an incredibly powerful tool Then having the discussion beforehand, but also being with people who can help you have that discussion postpartum, because that's not the best time to advocate for the easiest time to advocate for yourself. doesn't keep you in that physiologic birth mode either, but uh, most places it's recommended. I think every hospital gives 
postpartum Pitocin IV automatically, whether they've told you or not, it's probably hanging. And they have a protocol for fundal massage or fundal kneading or (laughs) fundal distress to confirm that the fundus is firm and small and to mitigate or reduce the risk of postpartum hemorrhage. This is a preventative measure. So it's also a body rule. It's a protocol that hospitals use to stay safe, that nurses follow. We work for hospitals. We follow protocols. We are tested on this, but it's a body rule. If you don't want fundal massage, you have that conversation. And I'm going to link on the show notes an episode I did with uh, Marin from Indie Birth on postpartum hemorrhage, just to tie in more information to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm looking at the time, I'm like, we're going to have to do, I've got like five more questions, but we're going to have to do quick, like round robin. Is that what it is? I don't know. The quick sure. fire answers. Um, and I think it's, it's, these are good for that. So in terms of shift change, should people come in before or after? Um, That is a weird question because someone's leaving and someone's coming on. So I wouldn't even think about it. Right. But if so, so my point is like, it's, we're going to go into the hospital and it's uh, shift change in my place is you order to the hospital. I'm thinking of at 7am. So it's 6am. And do we go in now or do we wait half an hour? And, and have a better triage experience when we're not in the middle of shift change. Does that matter at all? It hmm, it does matter. Personally, I would say I would go in at 7.30 instead of 6 because the new people are there and you're going to have that team for longer. That Yeah, excellent. <laughs> That's what I tend to think. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to keep quick. Yeah, no. What is your favorite go-to labor and delivery tool? Not a quick answer. Everything. Okay. 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 How about early labor? Curb walking. Curb um, walking. What's curb walking? Curb, like outside on the curb. Okay. Like if you're having prodromal labor, long labor, start and stop labor. Curb walking shifts your pelvis. So one foot on the curb, one foot on the street. Gotcha. Okay. Excellent. Down a block, back a block. And then when you're in the bed and you need labor to be augmented or you need a jump start or you need help getting the baby through the pelvis, I love peanut balls. Always. Peanut balls. And you have some great peanut ball classes or uh, online, right? Yeah. Or webinars mm-hmm. or something. I saw yeah, something. We have <laughs> videos. And then, yeah, I teach nurses in person and that class online is coming. Fabulous. Love peanut balls. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the your favorite part of your job? <gasps> My favorite part. My favorite part is when a new parent or a parent connects with either their body or birth. So they make a new connection or a solidified connection with how their body is working, choices within their body, how their body's feeling, how they're using their body, what their body can do, or just with birth, just that mesmerizing. (laughs) Of course, I'm so passionate about birth. So if someone can be like, oh my gosh, this is magic. I love that. Mm-hmm. What is the most difficult part of your job? Mm-hmm. The most difficult is being caught in the middle, being caught in the middle of the hospital protocol, the provider's preferences, the patient's autonomy, evidence, and then my own license, my own experience, my own comfort level, um, which 
come from the things that I've seen and the experiences I've had. Feeling, definitely feeling in the middle. I can't do what I want to do every single time. Mm. I totally get it. I'm going to, like, I have a follow-up question for that, but I'm going to hold it and do a quick one first because this is our last quick one. Are treats for labor and delivery nurses appreciated? And if so, when should they be given? Duh! They should be given (laughs) immediately. We are connecting with each other. And yes, that's what I did. And uh, I see it working. I see it in other people's experiences. If you've brought donuts, give it to that nurse before you even meet her or him. I mean, if you've brought coffee, give it to to the unit. You are elevating the experience for everyone and they're going to be happy. They're going to be grateful. They're going to want to elevate your experience back. So what is what are some preferred treats in that case? You've just mentioned coffee. Like I would never think of bringing coffee. So yeah, tell me. Yeah, yeah. Like a jug of coffee. Like if a provider, like <laughs> if a provider is apologizing for something, like they, I don't know, something silly, you know, like they requested a certain nurse to take care of someone and they're like oh thank you so much not apologizing but thank you so much they bring a jug of starbucks coffee with like little cups and so you know they're they're speaking our language we we like coffee um food that's bad for us we eat and then thoughtful things like kleenexes chapstick pens i think um connect with us in a different level i love that oh i gotta tell you i for holidays i tend to what like i would bring stuff to the nurse says just as like it's been a great year thank you for all your help through all these i'm not bringing something to every birth but um right in general to all you guys and i did like this fruit basket and some chocolate and and as a side thought i had ordered a bunch of uh peppermint chapsticks for an event that then arrived late so i'd never used them for the event and i was like oh i have these here Uh, And they were branded, right? They said Birthful Podcast. And I'm like, oh, I'll bring it to the nurses also. In January, like months later, when I came in, I would still have nurses go, oh, those peppermint chapsticks were amazing. They became this commodity. And nobody even, like, no, I asked other nurses, did you get the fruit? Did you get, and it's like, you brought in fruit? Like, that was a waste of money. But the chapsticks. So I learned my lesson. (laughs) Yes. Well, things that last longer can get to everybody. So you might have three shifts of nurses, but only enough donuts for one. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, something goes bad. Or you only bring coffee one time and you don't have like a coffee train of people coming every 12 hours, which is ridiculous. Don't do that. But things that last longer or little um, poems we put up on the wall and we love um, pictures of your baby afterwards so if you don't have your head on your shoulders like my second baby I had a toddler uh that barely happened I probably brought like goldfish or something uh a pic a picture later so if you're going through stuff and you print something out for Christmas um sending one to your nurse is incredibly thoughtful excellent um last question and I know we're like over time but this is such a fun talk what is the most important thing expectant parents need to understand about your job as a labor and delivery nurse? What would you like them to get? Well, right now in in my space, this answer is going to be different a year from now when we do this again, or <laughs> when you ask me in six months. Uh, we We get zero trauma-sensitive training. None. We get zero training about um, 
we get a little bit of training, the fact that a birthing person comes as a whole being, but then there's not a lot of how to navigate that with someone individually, especially as our patient loads are increasing and more and more people are having babies in the hospital and sick people are as well. Um, we get less of that individual training. So not to say that nurses cannot take care of you if you have experienced anything in your past, which we all have, um, or something scarier, you come in with a little bit of baggage to labor, which we all do because we watch YouTube and we hear stories from other people. But we can't we do a bad job of guessing someone's triggers or guessing what to do if our patient is experiencing something really overwhelming or really negative. I would remember Adriana and I do believe that it's humans working with humans. It's a team approach. So just trying to connect with your nurse about what's going on. Tell them what you need. Do the work ahead of time. And I know that's asking the person who needs help to be doing the work ahead of time, but it will change your experience dramatically. And um, and understanding that your nurse is human um, I think will also change. It doesn't, it doesn't um, apologize or negate a bad nurse or, or bad care, but telling us what you need is not being that person. It is exactly what we want. We want to be able to help you in an individual way. And if you tell us the answers, or if you can find some of them, or as you go, you can verbalize what's going on. That's going to help us um, help you better. Oh, this has been such a good talk. We could talk forever. Definitely going to have you back at some point. And maybe we talk more about the trauma-informed care and that. Because there's this whole thing about secondary trauma and nurses and doulas also being part of a situation and carrying that baggage. Like, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll have you back for that. Um, if people want to reach out, follow what you're doing, check out your videos, how can they do that, Mandy? Yes. Oh, gosh, I would love to come back. That sounds so yummy. Uh, follow me, um, youtube.com slash Mandy Irby, I-R-B-Y and Mandy That's where I'm at. Awesome. Thank you so very much. It's been a lovely talk. Thank you. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vivace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here's what Mandy had for breakfast. This morning I had coffee and a banana. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.